Welcome to Cancer HealthCasts, where science is driving hope. I'm your host, Catherine McPhail, and today we are joined by Dr. Emily Tonarezos, the Director of the Office of Cancer Survivorship at NCI. The Office of Cancer Survivorship takes a holistic approach to cancer survivor care, from clinical care to long-term follow-up, investigating healthcare delivery practices to support the needs of this community. This is a field of growing importance as the number of cancer survivors is increasing. As of January 2022, it is estimated that there are 18.1 million cancer survivors in the U.S. today, and that number is expected to increase to 26 million by 2040 due to our aging population, better detection strategies, more effective cancer treatments, and improved supportive care. Today, Emily will tell us more about where research to support this community is going. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. So first off, could you define the term cancer survivor and tell us more about your office's mission? The term survivor is used to indicate a person who's been diagnosed with cancer from the time of diagnosis through the balance of life. And the definition of cancer survivor was recently updated to specifically say that a person is considered a cancer survivor, whether they are on or off treatment. And the Office of Cancer Survivorship works to enhance the quality and length of survival of all persons diagnosed with cancer and to prevent, minimize, or manage adverse effects of cancer and its treatment. So it sounds like you all have a very holistic approach to patients, you know, entire lifespan from the time of diagnosis. That Um, is absolutely true. Yes. (laughs) I'm curious in terms of health equity, which is a major focus across the federal health space right now, what are some of the factors that could lead to disparities in clinical care or long-term follow-up that your office is maybe looking into? Thank you for this question because it is a focus of our work and also an area where we need more research. You know, we know some things about which survivors are engaged in long-term follow-up care. We know that survivors who live closer to the place where they were treated for cancer are more likely to go back for follow-up. We know that survivors, as time from diagnosis increases, survivors become less likely to go back for checkups. And we know that survivors who have a high amount of cancer identity, meaning survivors who identify themselves as survivors, who think about their cancer experience, that they are somewhat more activated to participate in long-term follow-up. But those are all individual level factors. So those are things that really have to do with the individual survivor. There are some corresponding factors among providers, such as knowledge. So if you're seeing a a provider who's knowledgeable about survivorship, you're more likely to get survivorship care. But then there are all of these other sort of higher level issues that can contribute to disparities. Things like what neighborhood do you live in? What type of health insurance do you have? What are the policies and procedures of the cancer center that you went to that can contribute to barriers and create disparities in who gets survivorship care and the quality of care that they're getting. You mentioned particularly um, trying to 
sort of grow the population that is receiving long-term follow-up care. What are some of the things that happen in long-term follow-up care that are important for patients and survivors? The Institute of Medicine actually has a definition of survivorship care that says it includes surveillance for recurrence and for second malignancies. That includes detection and treatment for side effects from cancer treatment. And that includes care coordination and all of the sort of healthcare delivery issues around taking care of cancer survivors. Then we also have all of the kind of routine medical care that cancer survivors require, things like managing blood pressure and treating type 2 diabetes. I noticed also, um, I think people are really familiar with the idea of follow-up when it comes to looking for recurrence or a new cancer, um, but I've seen your office also mentioning looking into screening and intervention for things like the psychosocial or economic impact of being a cancer survivor. Um, so I was curious, when it comes to preventing adverse outcomes from cancer treatments, what are some of those screening or intervention methods that you might be exploring? I love this question also because it gives us an opportunity to talk about survivorship research that really does start at the time of diagnosis and maybe even before that in some cases. So one of the things that has happened over the past decades is that oncology, cancer treatment has gotten more refined. And so people diagnosed with cancer are no longer getting treatments that they don't need and that could contribute to adverse outcomes. For example, doses of chemotherapy are coming down. Um, doses of radiation therapy have certainly come down. And so actually management of adverse outcomes from treatment can actually start at the time of treatment. And we do see that happening somewhat remarkably um, as oncology care advances. Then there are the things to detect and manage side effects that happen later on, maybe still during treatment, but later in treatment or even after treatment has ended for some people. And that involves actually making sure that survivors are being monitored for the care for the follow-up that they need, and then figuring out ways to treat those adverse events when they occur. There's a lot of work in that area in survivorship. It's actually the bulk, I would say, of the research that is funded is related to side effects from treatment, either detecting them, preventing them, or treating them. I'm really interested in, in, in what you said about sort of this idea of almost knowing when not to treat and making sure that your oncology sort of has, is effective, but has the minimum adverse outcomes later on down the line and tracking that through all that side effect research. That's very encouraging to hear. I know your office also, from this holistic perspective, writes sometimes about the caregiver's role. And I was wondering, you know, why are caregivers who are not the cancer patients themselves also an important part of your overall research model? You know, the Office of Cancer Survivorship was started as a result of a group of cancer survivors who were advocates really pushing the NCI to start paying more attention to what happens to people who've been diagnosed with cancer and forcing, in some ways, an agenda 
of research that incorporates everything that happens to humans after a diagnosis of cancer. And what we learned, especially in those early years, is that cancer is not a condition or a disease that only affects one person. It really does affect the individual and the people around them. And there are a whole population of family members and friends that fall under the umbrella of caregiver that are or were neglected. And so the expansion of survivorship research to include this population of people really is acknowledging the way that cancer impacts not just the person who's had the diagnosis, but the, the people around them as well. Absolutely. I'm curious from this very holistic perspective, what are some of the sorts of holistic or system-based approaches that you would love to see in cancer survivor care? I think we can all acknowledge that it is not fair to survivors or their families to put the burden of long-term follow-up in their hands. I think actually this was one of the problems with the survivorship care plan type solution to long-term follow-up, which is that you are requiring the survivor to be informed and proactive and to advocate for themselves. And it's really a burden. And unfortunately, it's a burden that affects different people disproportionately. And so we've created a system where survivors are cared for in a very hodgepodge way. And we rely entirely on the survivor and their families to make sure that there's care coordination or that the required testing is being done. And it's, it's really inappropriate. <laughs> so I would like to see solutions that are, you know, at a high level that can generate equality for cancer survivors by not relying on individuals to make sure that they're getting good care, but on building systems or revising existing systems to take care of cancer survivors so that we don't, we don't have to do that to them. It's not right. I'm curious if within the current healthcare landscape, if there are any words of advice you would have for a cancer patient or a cancer survivor post-oncology um, who is in that sort of longer-term follow-up phase? There are some resources available if you're not sure what you might need or where you should go. I would say one place to start is the Office of Cancer Survivorship website here at NCI. Another place, if you prefer the phone, you can call 1-800-4-CANCER. That's the number four and then the word cancer. That's the cancer information system. And they can help you find resources about your diagnosis, the treatment that you got, and what sort of long-term follow-up you might need. Um, something else I was hoping to get your perspective on is a little bit about how the COVID-19 pandemic may have affected cancer survivors I mean, we all know the pandemic put tremendous stress on the entire healthcare system and also accelerated the development of telehealth. So what sort of impacts has that had in your space? There's no question that cancer survivors have been impacted by the pandemic. I think access to telehealth 
is a an area where there is a lot of potential for survivorship care. As I mentioned, distance to the cancer center is one of the things that negatively impacts people coming for long-term follow-up. So being engaged in telehealth or having opportunities for telehealth might alleviate some of those challenges. And there is a current funding opportunity that just came out, some current, some grants that just were funded related to telehealth, um, the telehealth centers of excellence, but this is an area of active research. The other thing I would say is that it, it, we're getting to a point where, thank goodness, some of the fear for cancer survivors is abating. I think early on, survivors were usually thinking of themselves as a high-risk group with regards to COVID. And thankfully, over the last two years, we've learned that for most survivors, the COVID-related risks are the same as for the general population. There are some survivors, such as those who were treated with rituximab, who appear to continue to be at increased risk for COVID-related illness. But for the most part, for most survivors, they are not at increased risk. And that has been a huge relief. There is no question that the fear related to getting covid or um, suffering from COVID-related illness was tremendous, you know, and it went on for quite a long time. So we're trying to emphasize the positive <laughs> with the research that has come out. It's nice to see that you don't have to worry any more than your average person. <laughs> yes. Even though that sounds kind of twisted. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure, I mean, I think already being a cancer survivor can be a very isolating experience. And then, you know, having the isolation of the pandemic and, and worrying about your health for all these years, that is, that is good news. Yeah. yeah. I, you, you point something out though, also, which is honestly the, a crisis in the whole country, which is the mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. And I really, I don't think we've experienced the full impact of that crisis. We don't have enough providers. We don't, have a way to pay them and people are really suffering. Yeah. Is that something that you would also like to see integrated into the long-term follow-up? Yes. In fact, some of the earliest studies in cancer survivors were around mental health impact of a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so it really is going back to our roots to say uh, we're not done. And we don't even fully understand all the ways that cancer impacts people's mental, psychosocial well-being. So to um, just that story is not definitely not been told. Not yet. It's not yeah. over yet. Yeah. Definitely. And I'm sure, you know, whatever information you're able to gather out of that, as you say, it is a larger issue. And a lot of those findings may be helpful to other people with chronic or acute conditions. So that's definitely. A big area of research, really important. I guess that brings me into my next question, which is where is the future of cancer survivor research focused? And what are some of your guiding priorities looking into the future? It's hard to say for sure where the future of cancer survivorship is going because cancer survivorship research is always building off what's happening in cancer diagnosis and treatment. So, for example, we have all of these new and emerging therapies, such as immunotherapy, checkpoint inhibitors, um, cellular therapy, and we don't really know yet what the long-term impact of those treatments 
might be. Thankfully, people are getting them and living longer lives, but we have a lot of work to do to understand what the long-term impact might be. There is also a whole category of side effects from treatment that I consider understudied. And it's actually somewhat difficult to know what those are because the whole point is that they're understudied. But we have a system in place where we're going through our current portfolio. Let's look at what NCI is currently funding and match it up to the types of side effects that cancer survivors experience and then see what's missing in our landscape of research. And that's a process we're going through right now. We know that there are topics that we are not funding enough research on. And so we're trying to be systematic about figuring out what those might be and what we should do to try to generate research in those areas. For me personally, I'm a general internist. So I, I often come to cancer survivorship from a primary care perspective. I think we cannot really overstate the current crisis in primary care. And Certainly, cancer survivors are impacted by that. But the extent to which they're impacted and what solutions we might study, I think, are big gaps right now. And one thing we haven't touched on yet is, you know, the fact that obviously cancer survivorship is an important field of study, but it's also a growing field because the population of cancer survivors is growing and expected to continue growing. Could you speak a little bit to that phenomenon and why that's happening? Yeah, of course. That is, I mean, we just got these new numbers on the number of cancer survivors in the United States. It's over 18 million people. We also got some numbers. We just published a paper in JNCI on the number of people in the United States living with metastatic cancer, which is over 600,000 people. And then we have the number of childhood cancer survivors, which continues to grow. I think what um, stood out to me with those numbers that came out recently is the number of cancer survivors who are over the age of 65. It's actually about two thirds of cancer survivors are older adults. And that is certainly, I think, an underappreciated statistic. <laughs> but all of it is really a very, I mean, anytime you take a look at the number of people who are living after a cancer diagnosis, you have to feel good about what we're doing in diagnosis you know, screening, diagnosis, and treatment, because that's really where the the gains are being made. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, complicated numbers to look at, because at first you're like, oh my gosh, there's more cancer. And then you're like, oh no, we're detecting it earlier. We're treating it better, <laughs> right? That's, it's a yes. lot to wrap your head around. That's actually a very, uh, that's actually a very observant comment, because it's one of the challenges actually, if looking at disparities when you look at the number of people diagnosed with cancer, because is it is it good to be diagnosed with cancer or is it bad to be diagnosed yeah. with cancer? Mm -hmm. Of course, our vision is a world that's free of cancer mm -hmm. where no person ever has to go through a cancer diagnosis. That's not the world we live in right now, unfortunately. But ideally, actually, <laughs> the incidence of cancer would be zero. Is there anything else that you would like to add that you'd like people to know? I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about the Office of Cancer Survivorship and the work that we're doing, but it's always 
for me, with the acknowledgement of the cancer survivors themselves and their families. And none of this would be possible without their contributions to science and um, to my work personally. So I'm just extremely grateful to them. Absolutely. And I, I didn't know that part of the founding of your office came from advocates. That's really great, though, that this whole office was created because of that. Yes. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been great to have you. Thank you for having me. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.